Welcome to the 18th episode of the ClassCast podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Tibbins. Today, I'm going to have a little solo talk uh, about what students need to know. Now, that seems probably obvious enough, right? We have standardized tests, we have curriculum, we have state standards, we have a million things that help us understand what students need to know. However, this is actually a point of uh, some contention between many teachers and maybe administrators, researchers, curriculum developers, and on and on because we have questions about what it means to provide a 21st century education. I cannot tell you the number of times I've heard in the last couple of years that students don't really need to know a lot of facts. They don't need to memorize names or dates. They don't need that because they have information access constantly. You know, they have a phone, they have a Chromebook, they have a laptop. They have the sum total of the world's knowledge at their fingertips. So why do they really need to know who did what, to whom, or at what time, or in what location. And if the only point of knowledge was just to rattle that information back off, you know, to be able to recite it and recall it, then that would be a fair point. Uh, I was in a faculty meeting a couple of years ago where my principal, who is, is fantastic, and I, I don't know how much of this he meant in a literal way, but he asked the question to the entire staff, how many things do students really need to know that they can't access easily enough in other places. And then he held up his cell phone. Now, I think what he was getting at, and actually I know what he was getting at, was that we need to be pushing towards critical thinking. We need students to be able to create things for themselves. They need to be able to assess, to evaluate, to synthesize, to really create their own products, right? The, the goal of, of education, and particularly maybe the goal of school, should not just be the rote memorization of facts and names but maybe the ability to do something with them. However, I think sometimes people misunderstand that. Sometimes maybe we jump straight to the, the process and the production, and we forget that knowledge really is an essential component. Okay. Now, there's, there's several different ways to address this, but I'm, I'm going to start with something that I say a lot in class um, and then just sort of see where I go from there. But I really do believe that you can't think stuff if you don't know stuff. Right? If you don't know stuff, you can't think stuff. And if you can't think stuff, you can't really do much. Consider for a second what you could even ask about, say, quantum computing. If you're not a person that knows a great deal about computer science, you probably can't even ask a question about quantum computing, let alone do anything about it. The first thing you need to do is know something about it in order to ask questions. So we start with what is quantum computing? What do the words mean? Who invented it? How does it work? But I can't do anything more until I have at least that basic knowledge. Now, that's the part I can go look up, right? I can just go to Google. I can type it in. I'm good to go. I know what quantum computing is. Then I need to start looking at how it works. I need to start looking at computer systems. I need to start naming components. I need to name the functions. I need to know a lot of things before I can ever do anything with the knowledge. Now, if we are to try to teach classes to assemble interdisciplinary projects or to create a curriculum that does not emphasize knowledge acquisition along with those higher order thinking skills, then students never really will develop the higher order thinking skills. Consider that knowledge is what you know, but wisdom is knowing what you know and knowing how much you don't know, right? Wisdom is an awareness both of knowledge and the lack of knowledge. Ignorance is to not know what you don't know and usually to not want to know it, right? 
So if we want students to work at the high end, at the top end of Bloom's taxonomy, if we want evaluation, we want synthesis, we want production and creation and all of those things, we need to remember that students do need to know some things along the way. Critical thinking is fantastic, but I worry that critical thinking is actually becoming a little bit of a cliched term in education today because everybody wants to create critical thinkers. If you're a teacher listening to this, think about how many times you've heard an administrator or you know, professional development trainer tell you that the goal is critical thinking. Then think about how they respond if you raise your hand and ask difficult questions, if you challenge the premise of the discussion, if they're floating a new, a new pedagogy, a new method, and you question it, think about the response. Now, the better trainers, the better administrators will answer the question. They'll embrace the challenge. But I think on average, what you get are either people who brush it off, people who frown upon it, or they give a half answer and try to move on from there. Consider that if you don't allow your teachers to think critically, what are the chances that they're going to help their students to do so? If you hire a staff of teachers who are compliant, who are conformists, who just do as they're told without question, they take the marching orders, they teach the curriculum, they use the current methods, and that's it, that's fine. But how can that person ever model critical thinking skills? In order to do the critical thinking piece, that teacher also needs to know enough to ask the question. A person who knows very little about their content or maybe knows very little about pedagogy won't ask good questions about the new methods, about the new trends, about whatever, whatever it is we're talking about. So in order for the teacher to ask the questions, they have to have the knowledge. And then in order for them to help their students do the critical thinking, that means they first have to instill the knowledge in the students. Let's look at this a different way. Do you know people who are generally pretty good at thinking but who don't really know a lot? Think about someone who's intelligent, who sometimes has good ideas or can make good arguments, but they just don't really know a lot of stuff. Usually, we end up in conversations with these people where we get the sense that a lot of their arguments are dogmatic. They formed a belief at some point and they stick to it without any flexibility. And, and sometimes I think we're unfairly or we're too harshly critical of a person in that situation. But you know, it is deserving of some criticism, right? Because the person is demonstrating the ability to think, the ability to make an argument, to refute ideas, to defend their own beliefs, but they're not open to new information. Or maybe they're open to it, but they haven't had access to it. This is where a lot of times we see very bad inductive reasoning. You see a smart person who's had lim who has limited knowledge or has had limited experience with a particular subject and then based on the small amount of information available to them, they try to draw universal conclusions. When we draw broad universal conclusions based on limited experience and evidence, we almost always end up, at a minimum, committing a lot of embarrassing logical fallacies. But a lot of times we just draw bad conclusions in general. This is where a lot of racism and sexism and xenophobia come from. People try to make good logical conclusions based on insufficient information and evidence. And so how can we ever ask students to think critically, to draw good conclusions, if we haven't given them enough knowledge in the first place? Sure, you know, you say, well, you don't need to know much because you can look up the rest. Sure, but critical thinking means that I have to have the ability to ask the question on the spot. I need to be able to take the new information presented to me and immediately compare it back to the other things I know. 
if I have to take in new information and then go look for things that might compete or that might oppose or that might conflict with it, by the time I've done the research, the conversation was over. My moment has passed. It doesn't mean I didn't get the right answer. It means I got the right answer too slow. It means someone else in the room did the good thinking before I got there. Okay. We also have to be aware that most people's natural tendency is to trust new information. When you hear something new, the average person will agree with it or accept it. Then think, what else do I know? Does that make sense? And reject it or adapt as necessary. Right? If we know, and there's a lot of good research to support this. I'm, I'm halfway through a book right now called Being Wrong by Katherine Schultz. It's fantastic. It looks at all the different ways that we're wrong and why we end up wrong, how we feel about it, and maybe what we should do about it. And again, I'm only halfway through, but she, she cites some excellent research that points out that the average person accepts the truth and then goes back to double-check it. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell uses some of the same research and draws similar conclusions using some different research in his new book, Talking to Strangers. When someone tells us something, we have the tendency to believe them, especially if we think that person is like us, if we have things in common with them, right? How are you ever going to go back and double check? How are you going to reassess the new information that you just heard and probably accepted if you don't know enough? Now, I'm not arguing for classes of pure memorization. I don't think it's healthy if, if you know, 50% of the assessments in a class are quizzes that just ask you to memorize names and dates and things like that. But I do think that some memorization is appropriate. I do think that some simple factual knowledge is necessary to enable the higher level thinking. Uh, another example. One of the best college classes I ever took was a class called The Modern American Novel, taught by Dr. Mark Facknitz. Now, the first book that we read actually wasn't a novel. It was The Education of Henry Adams, uh, which is nonfiction, and it, it sort of set the tone for the, the beginning of the modern world. It's written right about 1900. The assignment that went along with it, that actually went through a good chunk of that semester, was a timeline. It was just a list of items of objects, of actions, of political events, uh, you name it. It was just, it seemed like the most random collection of stuff, all set on a timeline in American history. And our job was to figure out the significance of each item and then memorize it. And near the end of the semester, we took a test. And you just had to know it. And he didn't tell you what you needed to know about it. I mean, there was a lot of inquiry there. It, it, I remember thinking at first that it was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. And then I was halfway through the timeline uh, later on, and I realized that this was really interesting, but that it was still very frustrating because I didn't know exactly what I was trying to do. And it took a lot of time to get that information. I currently, I don't remember everything on the list. And if you went back and quizzed me on it now, I don't think I'd remember 100% of it. I think optimistically I'd remember maybe 40, 50% of it. But I tell you what, Having that information in my brain when I read the rest of the modern American novels, it gave me so much better understanding and appreciation for what the authors were expressing about their times and about the changing world. For example, one of the items on the list was the pneumatic tire. I mean, you know, who cares? Who cares that now we have tires filled with air? But then you start to realize that before that, you have either solid rubber tires or wooden tires. The ride was very unsteady. It was hard to transport goods. Wheels broke a lot. And you couldn't really move at a high speed. But when the pneumatic tire comes into existence in, I want to say it was the 19-teens, early 1920s, something it might have even been before that, all of a sudden vehicles can travel faster. You can transport more fragile goods without worrying about them shaking and breaking. 
because you have the pneumatic tire, people start to drive more because the ride is more comfortable, which leads to better roads. Better roads leads to more travel. Without the pneumatic tire, you never get Jack Kerouac's on the road. It just doesn't happen. Okay, there are so many other books and stories in American history that are dependent upon the evolution of the technology. Now, can you read on the road and have you know, no knowledge of tires and still kind of get the book? Yes. But what you can't do is put it in a historical context that allows you to do any deeper analysis. You can't put it into the, the author's time period to understand what he's doing and why it was interesting and new to him. Now you could go back and read on the road and think, yeah, any jerk can take a road trip. Anybody can do some drugs and write some stuff and drive around. And maybe that's true. But on the road is special because it captures a time. It captures a feeling. And you don't understand the time or the feeling if you don't know anything about that time. You don't know anything about the significance in terms of the changes that a young man was trying to represent if you didn't know the changes in the technology, what came before it, what was happening, what would come after it. What I'm trying to say is that knowledge is important, that without knowledge, there is no wisdom. Without knowledge, there is no critical thinking. When people make arguments that students don't really need to know as much as they used to because they have access to the internet, they are either lying or they themselves have been misled. You need to know a lot to think well. Synthesis requires knowing a lot of different things and then combining them and putting them together. Think about it, Bloom's taxonomy is a pyramid and that's not, it's not drawn that way by accident. At the foundation of that pyramid is knowledge. The first thing you need to do is know stuff. Once you know the stuff, then we can start to assess, we can evaluate, we can move our way all the way up to synthesis and to to production, to creation of our own new things. But if we try to minimize, if we try to downplay the significance of knowledge, then we weaken the base of the pyramid. And if we weaken the base of the pyramid, how many of our students are going to ever make it to the top? Your smartest students, they're going to learn plenty, right? They have sticky brains. That's the term I use. People ask me, how do I know stuff? I say, I have a sticky brain. I got lucky. I just remember things when I hear them. And that's not true for everyone. Your smartest students might be able to get by without as much content knowledge because they remember more of what they hear and more of what they read. But for your students who are, you know, in terms of the basic tests of intelligence, flawed as they may be. But when your average or below average intelligence students are asked to do higher level thinking and they have not really learned the knowledge in the first place, it's all just smoke and mirrors. It's a puppet show. It's a fun house masquerading as education. You cannot do quality project-based learning if the students didn't learn the basic content knowledge first. Okay? Every time you hear someone make an argument that students don't need to know much of these things, that students don't need to know all that stuff, what they really need to do is know how to use it. They need to know how to think and how to write. They need to be able to connect and create and ask questions. I want you to remind that person that if you don't know stuff, you can't think stuff. And if you can't think stuff, you can't do much. Whatever we want to do in school, we can never move away from the idea that knowledge is important because without knowledge, we have no thinking, we have no skills, and we have no wisdom. This has been the 18th episode of the ClassCast podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to to listen and consider these ideas. 
please feel free to, to leave some comments or messages on this page or to contact us directly and, and let me know what you're thinking. Um, I also, if anybody would like to disagree with this thoughtfully, I'd love to do this uh, the sort of the talk about knowledge versus skills versus the rest, uh, maybe with another person who has a vested interest in it and maybe someone who disagrees a little bit. I think that would make for a lively discussion. Again, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to listen. 